You look at the K-pop entertainment companies and they are multi-billion dollar valuated companies. That's like Korea has already shown us how. Like we don't have to replicate the Wii. Like look at how they earn billions from concerts. Look at how they build, earn uh, you know uh, millions from from retail. Um, how much they earn millions from you know rights of their music and all that. And all of these are replicatable in gaming. You can create like video highlights. You have detail. You have NFTs now, right? You you can have like VTL experiences with with them. And I think I think the way to look at it is we're not about talent management because talent management is such a word that has so much baggage like okay. first you, you so much sometimes people feel like if you're a talent management you don't own anything second is it has low margins but what tier one is really doing is we are a fandom manager you know what I mean like we know how to manage fandom management we, we know how to manage people that have fans we know how to take care of our community we know how to take care of communities Good evening, good afternoon, good morning to wherever you are watching here in the Philippines and all over the world. And welcome to my podcast, the RJ Ledesma Podcast. In my podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and entrepreneurs to learn more about how they think about doing business. What are their success secrets? Can we replicate those success secrets for ourselves? How they innovated their businesses during this pandemic, but more importantly, What business opportunities do they see emerging in this new new normal? Now, is there a business personality or entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please let me know. I would love to learn from them. Just drop me a message. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and the Bounce Back Network. And tonight, uh, the reason why I really chased after this guest is because there have been so many requests to have him here on the podcast. Tonight, we'll be featuring Trike Gutierrez, who is the CEO and co-founder of Tier One Entertainment, one of Southeast Asia's biggest esports talent platforms. Currently, Tier One Entertainment is redefining the gaming and esports industry. It is a venture-backed esports, gaming, and entertainment company that develops and signs top-tier content creators around the globe and is the home of World Champions Blacklist International. They were founded back in 2017 by esports veteran Trike Gutierrez, cosplaying gaming star Alojo Gosengfiao, and serial entrepreneur Brian Lim. And together, they sought to revolutionize the esports landscape here in Asia by focusing on the development of truly talented, top-caliber personalities. Cheer One's mission is to connect brands with unique gaming audience like, ev- like, like never, never before. And Tier One has over 1,000 talents across its main brand and amplify its streamer collective brand. Currently, it manages four professional esports teams under its Blacklist International Esports label. And on top of that, when they're also developing their own clothing and lifestyle brand with Tier One Limited Collection. So these guys are really trying to conquer the world here right now. So can I please introduce World Conqueror here on my show right now? Uh, please welcome Mr. Trike Gutierrez. Trike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sir RJ. Thank you. Thank Trike, you. Thank you. Like I have to tell you, you know, when I started this show and I decided to make the shout out for people to invite guests on the show, yours was the name that kept on coming out again and again and again. So uh, finally, I'm so thankful to have you here. I got a message from Carla Delantar from Govi Partners saying, thanks for having Tier 1. And I got other people saying, thanks, I finally want to hear uh, from Tier 1 here right now tonight. So right, thanks for the time. I know you're a busy guy. So let's start off uh, before everything else. You know, Tier 1. Really, a lot of strides that you're doing. But what's the biggest use that you guys have for 2022? What's the biggest thing that that Tier One is doing over here in 2022 that you want to share uh, with all the people listening to the podcast? Well, I think um, the biggest um, news for Tier One for this year is really, of course, um, the expansion plans. Basically, because um, we've been talking about it for the past months, and I think people haven't really fully grasped, you know, like the level of expansion that you want to be able to do in the rest of Asia, right? Because um, it's one thing to cover um, Philippine esports, but it's another thing to really get into the other geographies and kind of like replicate your playbook that you created here in the country. So obviously, like 
that alone is a big, big challenge. And um, plus the fact that we also have something prepared for Web3. So wow. I think that's also very, very um, exciting. I haven't really shared that um, yet, but generally, these are the two things we're really focused on. Give us a little flavor, by the back, high quality flavor of what you're doing for Web3 with Tier 1. Um, there is a technological platform that we're developing, um, but before that, what we're doing right now is um, just like what we kind of like created in, in, in the Web2 space. We're creating educational platforms and platforms for KOLs. So, for instance, Amplify was created because there was so much demand for um, gaming creators that we didn't expect. Because initially, when we created Tier 1 Entertainment, it was just designed to really support 24 people. But um, what we realized is that it's not just there are so much demand for opportunities in gaming. Um, in fact, there were so much talents that wanted to be supported, right? So because of that, we created the Amplify program, which paved way for more um, talents to come in into the company. And then basically, we want to be able to extend that to Web3. So um, that pl platform is going to be called Alliance, which we will announce soon, which is going to be like a collective group of Web3 cr uh, credible KOLs. You know what I like the idea is that you know um how I see your business basically is that there are so many that you're getting into but you you know you're like a serial entrepreneur but in the sense that you're you know I've been taking a class for, for Alibaba the Alibaba Netpreneur class where Jack Ma talks about building an ecosystem of different companies but they are all organically connected together especially in the head of, of the creator and basically that's what you're doing you're building a lot of different companies but with a sort of like an overarching theme that that connects yeah. all of them is it correct? Yeah, I think the overarching theme of what Tier 1 is doing is it creates a value chain to the content creators and the layer of influence that there is when it comes to esports and gaming. So what I mean by that is whether you're a commentator, a cosplayer, you know, all of these personalities, the molds that were technically created just, just with the freelance world is something that we're trying to institutionalize, right? Like, um, at first, like for me personally, when I started out shoutcasting, I didn't know where to start. I just really kind of like researched a lot of things on YouTube. And then from there, I kind of like created a brand of my own. But but I know for a fact that, you know, an, an industry won't thrive with just purely freelancers. And thus, an institution is needed for them to be able to have, you know, the proper guidance and the proper systems so that, you know, like they can really fully scale what they do. So generally, what I'm saying here is that um, Tier 1 is here to help um, and guide people in the space, whether you are um, a shoutcaster, a Web3 personality, a cosplayer, or, you know, an esports player. Like, as long as the common denominator is gaming, uh, we want to be able to create systems and frameworks for those types of people. Fantastic. And, you know, I have to say this one. Um, it's great. I'm, I'm learning so much from you listening right now. And, you know, there's sometimes I have to take a break and say, uh, can we step back a bit and explain a bit more if you don't mind, Trike? Because there are people listening to us who are very much involved in esports and gaming. And the people, first-time startup entrepreneurs going, wow, I really want to understand a bit more about uh, about Trike and, his, and the business that they're trying to do. Um, and having said that, you know, you said that you're taking your, 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 your playbook for what you're doing here in the Philippines to the rest to, the, to other countries, other geographies. I read that in 2021, you're actually expanding to Japan. So what are the geographies that you guys are, are planning to get into? And, and how did you choose these geographies that you guys want to get into for Tier 1? So I guess just to give you a general idea of what Tier 1 Entertainment is, where we are in the intersection of media properties, esports, and creator management, right? But all of those um, things all folds under the gaming industry. So we're fully focused on gaming but we're doing multiple things so when i talk about media properties it means shows podcast reality shows we've we've co-produced something with abscbn similar to uh, something similar to pbb we call the mm -hmm. gaming house and we plan to do more reality shows like that um for the media property side um we have a thousand creators like uh, what we uh, what you mentioned earlier and of course we are also homes to uh, we are also the home for blacklist international the world champions of both um mobile legends and codm so in a way, we own the Lakers of gaming. We handle the the showbiz personalities of gaming, and we also produce, you know, the shows um, for these people. And basically, that's what we do. So um, all of these um, came about with an epiphany and the idea of really patterning it to K-pop, 
and and the K-pop model um, that created Big Bang, uh, Blackpink, BTS, the companies behind um, those uh, groups are our inspiration with Tier One Entertainment. Yeah. But we want to do for gaming. And this interesting track, I know that maybe, you know, it's it's something that you came across intuitively, but I recall, you know, see Josiah Go of, you know, he's the guy behind Mansmith, uh, Mansmith and Fielders, um, a really great marketing guru. Um, he used to say that innovation comes from taking things that you see from outside of your industry and then bring it into your industry. And I like the idea that, you know, you sort of like took the K-pop model and said, let's use that and, and bring it over here to, to gaming. And sort of like gaming is the overarching theme. And from there, yes. it kind of it, it kind of organically grows. So, what are the different, forgive the word, the different income streams that you can create, or how can you monetize the different income streams which come out from gaming? Is that is that correct to my yeah. mind? I think I think the best way to uh, to answer that question, or in a way that inquiry is, I can share the story of like how I came about it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Actually, well, if you don't mind, um, I'm gonna save that story from Amia Conte because it's a really great story that I want you to tell. Uh, but before that, before we get into that, ano being but ibang bansa pala na papasok yung ano yung I'm, just, okay. I'm, I'm excited so, for you to share uh, that we're one. We're currently present in Japan, um, Vietnam, the Philippines, and Malaysia, and we want to also be present in um, Indonesia next. But we're holding on uh, that for now. We're also present in Myanmar, so total of five countries basically, and we want to be in six. Shrike, um, I, I don't know. I hope you don't mind me asking. I mean. For me, what I find truly impressive is that it's us, the Philippines, leading the way in bringing out esports and gaming to these other countries. Uh, and for me, that's it's like technically you're like a Filipino multinational going out to all these different countries and, and establishing bases over there. What do you think gave us that sort of competitive advantage in in your industry to be able to to go there and bring your playbook there instead of I guess similar companies in their places coming over here? I think for one, it's really the sandbox that is esports. You know what I mean? Like esports has just developed like in the past uh, five to ten years, probably, right? Uh, at least from my perspective. And basically, um, the Philippines was at the forefront of it because of the great amount of gaming talents that we had in Dota. I I, I feel like personally because you know the bulk of the top players in the Dota space back then really came from the Philippines. And that created a whole infrastructure of businesses such as broadcasting companies, you know, your comp shops, all of these um, revenue streams that initially came about in esports have really created a small economy of people who are capable of managing talents, creating broadcasts, creating content and all that. And, and I think we were just ahead of the game that way. And then um, outside of that, I think it's also the, the fans, right? Like, we have so much esports fans in the Philippines that I remember, like one of my um, foreign partners, PGL from Europe, told me that if we can only ship the fans of the Philippines <laughs> to any other country, then we would have probably done the event there, because logistically it's easier to mount an event elsewhere. But it's just the fans here are just different from anywhere in the world. Wow! So, parang kumbaga, we've got more rabbit fans here in the Philippines than we do have. Uh... I mean, we're, our, fanship, our, our fandom is comparable to, to the best fandom in the world, especially when it comes to esports and e-gaming. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I truly believe that. Um, that's one. And second point for me is that I have always believed in the Philippines as a possible um, headquarters for a lot of companies. It's just that, you know, like, there's just a lot of um, limitations when it comes to, you know, foreign ownership, legalities mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I think generally that's the issue. And um, obviously outside of that, like, I, I feel like if you're a CEO or a, or a founder of a company, right, like, why would you want to be here if you can be in Singapore or be in Hong Kong, right? So, like, all of these are, are realities. And and for me personally, like, we're, uh, I can't say that we're the norm, but um, I can also say that it's easy operating from. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here. 
but having said that, okay, uh, it's it's not so easy operating from here uh, because of some legal and regulatory uh, restrictions, no? But you choose to do it over here and your, your partners are coming in and then they're saying, you know, you've got partners from all over the world saying, yeah, we want to work with you. What do you see basically? I, I hope you don't mind inspiring some of the people listening here right now. What is it about the Philippines and Philippine esports and gaming that, that people really like, you know, that, that make it like, that make, that make us a beacon or make it something that people really want to invest in and see the potential in it? Well, the thing is, I think in terms of number one, our population, right? You have 110 million people um, in this country. Um, and I think a lot of them are really gamers. Like in terms of numbers, um, more than 30% of our pop of our online population are already gaming. But this was wow. these were numbers prior to the pandemic. I think post-pandemic is more than that. Given so I'm sure acce acce accelerate acceleration in the midst of the pandemic because they weren't doing anything but playing, I guess, on, on their on their phones. Yeah, yeah. Huh? And and also in the midst of the pandemic, that's when people made a jump from PC to mobile, right? And the barrier to entry from PC to mobile is just different, and thus it created an exponential growth for the for the base of, of, of gaming here in the Philippines. That's one. Second point, I think if you are, you know, any foreign company or any foreign entity, you want to get into Southeast Asia because most of the great most of the bigger surge in terms of growth is in this market. You know, you, you're looking at India, you're looking at China, you're looking at Southeast Asia as the three of the most anticipated, you know, like growth market in, in the global space. And I feel like if you look into Southeast Asia, I mean, outside of Hong Kong, then you're only looking at Singapore and the Philippines as countries that are really like truly English speaking in a way where it's just, there's so much, ta so much talent that speaks English. So with that, of course, if you're an investor or like a foreign entity or, or whatnot, you would still want to, on a base level, converse and be able to kind of like share your thought to the founder that you're talking to. So I, I think from that perspective, why not? Like, why not the Philippines? But of course, on the other hand, there are so much problems, like the basic requirements of running a business are not here. As much as I'm a proud Filipino, that's also a reality. And I think hopefully, you know, like the private sector and the government works on that to improve. But I feel like as long as we don't fix all that, like, the tendency is eventually all of the companies, even us, will eventually bring more of our operations elsewhere. Yeah, I understand. Understand. It's it's a sentiment shared by many, but hopefully, with the growth of your industry, uh, there will be more understanding legislators coming to provide a better regulatory environment for for you guys, especially what you guys contribute to the country. Now, um, you know, one of the struggles I had, Trike, when, when when speaking with you earlier on, was that you know I was trying to think. How do I, I mean I like for me I sort of understand the industry but let's say that I had my dad who's seventy eight years old then I try to explain to him dad ito yung ginagawa ng tier one um, how do I, how would they, how would you laymanize or explain to let's say parents or grandparents ano bang ginagawa ng tier one so that they can understand it much better um I guess to badly put we're the Viva slash ABS-CBN slash Ginebra of gaming. <laughs> TV entertainment and then gaming entertainment and that's what you guys are here right now. Yeah, because we own the basketball team, the volleyball team, and the whatever team. And then you are also the showmakers and at the same time we are the talent management, right? So in a way, Star Magic, ABS, uh Hinebra, Viva. Um, Viva Max, I don't know, and, <laughs> and uh, whatever team there is, the Oh, galeng. Uh, now, uh, I, that's why, Kanina, I wanted to stop and, and stop and, and sh get your story because you're going to make it cuento. And, and that's what, what, I, what, what I find truly inspiring is, is entrepreneurs like yourself who really you know, just found an opportunity and grew it to where it is today. And mm -hmm. often I tell people, you know, the, when, I, when, I, when I talk to people and give talks on entrepreneurship, we look at the entrepreneurial mindset that people started off with, like, you know, what is the pain point that you were originally trying to solve? What, what problem did you have that, that led to this one? So if I if you don't mind, let's, let's talk about the secret origin of Tier One, even before Tier One was formed. I mean, you were an esports veteran before Tier One was formed. So can we take a step back? So help us through your own journey. Where did, where did everything start off for you? So it started off for me because uh, I actually went to Lasal um, way back Animo. in two thousand five, <laughs> right? Back then, gaming wasn't even a thing. Like it wasn't a job. It wasn't. It was nothing, right? Like esports wasn't even a term yet. And I was playing computer games across um, the school 
uh, basically in the multiple computer cafes um eventually one of um the computer cafe became the first company that hired me which was um uh, Mineski's because Mineski had multiple um chains of cafes uh, uh cafe chains in in the multiple parts of the country right so so i i joined them for a year um what's your, what's your, sorry I'm curious are you undergrad of computer science of business management i or? i graduated organizational communication uh, so uh, liberal arts college cla yeah liberal liberal arts yes. wow and then so mineski hired you as a doing what initially so, mineski hired me initially as a graphic designer i actually had an option back then to work for a japanese company because i speak the language um with a with a six digit um salary per month but i opted to you know follow esports because it was just you know like my passion and and back then i never thought that i would be joining a computer cafe company but i did to follow esports then eventually the reality was you know like i didn't imagine myself putting up multiple cafes at the same at the same time to be able to you know like support the esports ecosystem because i felt like with the knowledge that i had with organizational communication I was coming from a point of advertising. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I was looking into the global esports space and I'm like, hey, all of these um ecosystems exist without computer cafes. So I wanted to create a model that wasn't reliant on computer cafes because I saw Korea and the whole PC bang, you know, like uh, uh surge, but eventually like the esports ecosystem wasn't really relying on on, on that rather than a healthy, you know, like advertising system. So advertising um, industry basically for esports. So so from there I started out. Um, I I came out um, of Mineski. I resigned and uh, joined MSI to figure out how what do the brands think? Like how do they think? Like how how do they support um, all of these endeavors and activations? To just for me to have a, an understanding of like what 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 is required for for Check. any product to be supported. This is interesting because it's sort of like you had um you had sort of like a long ter- longer term vision and you created your own career path. Para sa yes. Mona. Okay, I learned something uh, from Mineski and I want to take this one and I want to get here, but I got to learn multiple things along the way. What is that? Parang when you what is that key takeaway from from Mineski and what did you want to achieve? Parang what what did you want um, to ultimately achieve from there? I think what what Mineski really taught me is the passion, the direction, and the hope that esports can really progress. The business model I personally admired, but I it wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like I, I wanted to create a different ecosystem for esports outside of computer cafes, just because. Mm. Like I wasn't really passionate with you know creating cafes altogether like a hundred plus taking care of all of these franchise people like that wasn't me and also I wasn't the founder there right? like there were other founders I was just mm-hmm. now working for them so I had another you know like kind of like path but of course like I, I fully respect you know the direction and vision and everything but it's just I I had to take a different path I had okay. to take a different path so so my my perspective was. I was looking into the global east I was looking into the global esports um, ecosystem back then and most of them really created because of advertising whether it's events whether it's digital products or whatever not like it was really sponsorships right so of course the first step that I had to take was I had to study how sponsorships worked so I, I went in to join MSI Philippines for a year handling the gaming laptop brand Uh, and basically from there i i understood what were the metrics what were the kpis that were needed by these brands and then eventually i i, I reverse engineered it after that so I, i just stayed it for a year there and then joined one of the events that we actually sponsored um so that was um esports festival in cebu uh so brian lim who is my co-founder now in tier one i met back then who is a great mentor of mine to be honest and He really helped me grow as a as a person and as a leader. And basically, like for for me, he he showed me the way of creating products that are capable of being sponsored, right? So so from there from there, that's when my advertising journey in esports kind of like started. So from 2012 to 2016, I was handling my own PNL. I was running wow. uh, multiple events. I was I was trying to figure out. How to find opportunities, and then and then from there I was doing that from 2012 to 2016, and then in 2016 my biggest break was the Manila Major, which we organized a three million dollar event for Dota 2. We 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 were able to 
uh, Philippines, uh, filled the MOA arena with 18,000 people. Wow. Um, we had four languages in terms of broadcast and everything. And and right after that, I, I quit because, um, <laughs> yeah, like for me, like events weren't really my thing. That's something that I realized also that, you know, the problem with events is that, you know, you go into event, to, to an event, happy, excited, you know, everything is perfect. But right after that, despite all of the sweat, blood and tears, there will always be a negative feedback because nothing can be perfect. Like no event can be perfect. So mm-hmm. in a way that was taxing to me. So I left it in 2016 and then eventually I thought of a new idea, which was Tier 1 Entertainment. Wow. I want to I I take a look at your experience for just about five or six years of your life you know, that, that you took from there. Uh, the first thing is you, you learned so much, I, I guess, bis- business sense. You, you picked up a lot of that one and how to monetize, I guess, for, for sponsorship. What were the key takeaways from that experience that you got from, 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 the, from that length of time that you were there? Build a great product. I think that's the number one thing. Um, and I think the definition of a great product is, one, it is it has a good image. Um, there has to be, you know, like, it needs to be able to represent great things that brands would want to affiliate um, themselves with, whether it's good values, whether it's authenticity, whether it's legitimacy, whether it's a certain community that you represent or an advocacy. You need to be able to have that product that's, that is exciting enough for your consumers so that the brands will come in because you have a community that's that's literally like you know like following that product i think that's the first thing the second is um build a great team i think that's very important right like in the whole journey that i had from 2012 to 2016 like every person that leaves is a great loss and it's a great setback especially if you're a startup right actually you were a startup you were like a starting company, as I can say, because you were boot uh, like uh, most of it was bootstrapped, right? So you you always have limited resources, you have limited people, and the question is, how do you keep people? How do you run things with limited resources? How do you do it? And I think the people that will be with you in that journey as a start is going to be very very valuable for your failure and for your success. So I think it's very important to find good teammates, um, number two. And I think number three, you really need to be resilient because it's not, there will be a lot of rainy days. Like it's not going to be fun. Like people will only share the highlights. That's the reality. Oh. Of it. But at, at night, sometimes for sure, like all of these entrepreneurs are, are, are like, you know, like, anxious or like panicking with what's next or what to do sleepless i can i can empathize you sleepless nights because you don't know how the business is doing or where's your payroll going to come from the following day i mean that that happens like there there were there were were multiple points when i didn't get my my salary just for 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 the rest of my team to get a salary you know what i mean so yeah i know i mean that's just one sacrifice it's just financial i mean the other the other sacrifices that you have to make is that First, you really got to swallow your pride and just, you know, just be able to do what's needed. Like you need to sell if it can't be sold. You need to be able to recruit when when people don't believe in you. You need to be able to push when people think that you're going to fail. So I think all of these, I, I, it sounds inspiring that I got here, but I'm not sure if I want it for for other people. <laughs> no, like looking looking back at it now, like it's not as easy. Like you, you really need to want it. Uh, and and uh, I mean, as you're telling me this story, but I, I can feel it in, from my own uh, entrepreneurial experience. I mean, people always talk about the highs, but people never talk about, I mean, it can be a mental health issue for some of the entrepreneurs, yes, right? Because sure. nobody, nobody realizes the kind of the, the downsides that, 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 you, that you go through. Before we talk about the downside, I want to ask you, like, what really resonated with me was your discussion of coming up with a really good product that people will want to affiliate with. Can you give me an example during that, that period of time? What product did you create that, that you know that, that you're really proud of that people of you know people affiliated themselves with or that you Actually, know brands really we, we only had um, two great products during that time in my opinion. One was we did esports festival in Cebu, which was really unique because there wasn't any gaming festivals in the south, right? So every year we that was kind of like the pinnacle to the people of Cebu. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, like that became a destination for a lot of brands to really, you know, cover the market of gaming in Cebu. And Cebu is Asatas Manila, basically. So mm-hmm. so that was kind of like one. The second was Esports Inquirer. 
because um, we were the first media publication that merged esports and traditional and a traditional media brand together. So Esports Inquirer was the first of its kind, which covered multiple esports news. And basically, we had PTL and an online media that actually resonated to Gen Zs and millennials. So now, I, I, as, I, as I hear you speak, like what I'm truly amazed by is the fact that you know it's the same thing: finding underserved opportunities, finding pain points which people didn't see, like Cebu, really a gold mine, but nobody really looking in that direction. But you were able to create it and create a demand for it at the same time, and find sponsors to come in. And, and for me, I find that particularly fascinating. But what I find even more fascinating about you, Trike, is that you left. Eh? And for me, I find that quite a ballsy move on your part. <laughs> I mean, because. I mean, you were. If you think about it, right? You were established. People knew who you were. I mean, you could have you could have asked for more from the company that you were working for, but you chose to leave. Why did you choose to leave at that particular time? I know events weren't your thing, but what what more were you saying that this is time for me to start doing my own thing? But what was it part of your overall plan? Um, I was actually uh, a stakeholder in that company already. However, I wasn't a co-founder. So the reason why I left are multiple reasons. I think number one. I wasn't really a person that that really thrived in in an environment that doesn't fully own the brand. You know what okay. I mean? Because at the end yeah. of the day, the company, that company called Philippine Esports Organization, its main vision was to bring esports to the traditional sporting events, such as the Olympics and the other things. And one media arm that we had was Esports Inquirer. But at a point, like I wanted to have something of mine. I wanted to have control over, you know, the branding and the entity that that I was kind of like bringing to, to, to the market in a way that's one. Second is, I don't like events. Like running events isn't my thing just because I'm not as organized one. Second, like it's, it's too, it's, it doesn't um, appeal to my risk appetite. Right, like you have what six one year of preparations for like a two to three day event, and then mm-hmm. everything goes in, and then everything goes out, and then that's it. So I'm more of like a very marathon type of guy rather than a sprint guy. So I wanted something twenty four seven. I wanted more action in a way outside of those two to three days in a year. And then last but not the least, like I wasn't fulfilled because you put up an event for somebody else. And then everybody's happy. Then what, right? Like, I mean, I, I felt empty every after an event, every, every uh, after every event because first, I mean, I was promoting somebody else's game, somebody else's brand, and then people remembered the full experience maybe because it was a great IP or it was a great event. But that's about it. Like they will eventually move on into the next one, into the next one, into the next one, and. I, I felt like I was just a gun for hire and I didn't want to be that. It's not a knock on any events company or anything, but it's just the way I felt. So, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why every time I meet an event organizer, now in tier one, I'm really doing my best to support them in whatever way I can because I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. And when you eventually left to put up tier one, sort of like, so, I mean, whatever you put up right now, right? The, the company comes from, it's a result of your previous experiences that informs you 
then you look forward and you kind of say, okay, now that these are my previous experiences, I'm now seeing a new pain point that I can solve based on what happened to me in the past. So having said that, when you finally said, okay, I, I left events, I want to put up my own thing. What did you see in that horizon at that time? What were you trying to solve at this time? And, and that um, eventually became what tier one was. I think, I think generally just to share um, my, my general thinking is that all I wanted was really for the esports industry to become big. For it to get to the mainstream, whatever it takes, I will do it. Because I was a frustrated pro player that only joined tournaments once a year because there were only once a year tournaments during my time. And I never wanted any future generation of gamers to only have that opportunity. And thus, I I did everything I can in multiple sectors of esports, of the esports ecosystem knocking in each of the doors to, to open up those opportunities, right? And initially, I thought it was in Mineski. Eventually, I studied how MSI, you know, kind of like thought in terms of supporting. Peso was a great platform for me to, to you know, like um, learn and at the same time create opportunities as well. But I wanted to be in a place where I can have the most impact in terms of creating opportunities. And my dream outside of becoming a pro player. And then eventually I became a shoutcaster. Like that's, that's also one angle, but it's not related to this entrepreneurial conversation. But the best angle that I thought of was talent management. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just my idea. It was me and Alodia's idea because when I was, when I quit, I talked to her because she's one of my closest friends. And she told me like, what, what if you manage me? And I'm like, you know, I didn't do all that. I didn't do, I didn't study in La Salle or I didn't do, I, did, I, I don't know what I know just, just to, you know, like, just to manage you. Like, I, I don't, that's too small for me. And then eventually we're like, what if you put up a talent management? What if you put up like a Viva? And I'm like, what if you put up like a K-pop company in gaming? Because I was really passionate about K-pop and I was passionate about talent management. And that's when, you know, it hit us. Like, there's actually something there. So, yeah, that's when Tier 1 was born with, with that idea. Wow. So when, when you came together with Loja, so technically put gaming, K-pop, talent management, those are the kind of things that you put all together over there, with K-pop being sort of like the model that you would use to, yes. to, to, to move this forward. What is the first thing that you guys had to do? Because I, I'm thinking to my mind, Deba, you and Loja were great because you had, your, your capital is both Lawai capital. I mean, you, you knew people, you, you knew the industry. But um, did you also bootstrap to, to start running the company? Tell us a bit more yeah, about, you know, once yeah, you put I mean, idea together, how did you go next? Yes, we did initially. Um, before we got, so the earnings that we got, because we worked together in events as well in that uh, old company. So the earnings that we got basically from that, you know, this new company in terms of like ideation and everything. And then after doing all that, we found a VC investor that believed in the concept. And that, that's when it actually hit me. You know what? This needs to be a VC-backed company. Because that is the perfect vehicle for us to really support esports. Because you know how private equity works. You know how, you know, like regular entrepreneurial um, setups work. It will take ROIs. It will take multiple years for you to be able to kind of like fast track your growth. If you're in the franchise model, then you have other stakeholders, right? So... I felt like in terms of finding the best foundation, VC was the right foundation for us. And it was just really like the perfect storm where we met this um, potential VC that uh, just started out their VC fund for esports. And they were looking for a Southeast Asian company to invest in. And um, yeah, we were the first company that they invested in after a few months of operations. So from, from the get-go, you really work, you started to work now really with a VC. No, no, right. no, no. From the get-go, we, we bootstrapped it. But we bootstrapped it. Okay. And then when you finally went to the VC and, and you, because I, usually the, the first pitch that you make to a VC is not actually what the company runs. I mean, eventually the business model iterates along the way, right? What was that initial pitch that you had uh, for the venture capitalist? When you, it when wasn't. You, when you, ah, really? It huh? was. It was the K-pop model. Ah, the K-pop models, what you told him, that we, what, we, yeah. what you would do. I had a... I had a so before I went to that VC meeting with Brian Lim, my co-founder, I watched multiple Shark Tank episodes. 
I was pretty uh, familiar with the VC space myself because I I'm really a brainiac in a way where I when I get to want to learn something I, I really go all in and, and, and try to learn. So, you know, like I went there with a concept. Everything that we prepared, we prepared the logo, we prepared the video. We wanted to show them what the Philippines was, why this model will work in esports and all that. And I think the video killed it, to be honest. The video is what killed it. My background and my experience and Alodia's, you know, like following and everything and Bayan's, you know, like um, experience in entrepreneurship. I think all those three coming together with the right concept in a way, a good team that came from that events management company is what made them decide to invest. And I guess they didn't make a mistake. Wow. <laughs> well, great job, Trike. And then when that happened, though, what was say, the first major milestone, the first major product line that came out from the, after you guys got together with tier one, you got the VC and what's the first major product that came out of you guys, that you, the first major, I guess, income stream that you developed? For the, the first major income stream, income stream was basically a Lodi Goshen film. You know, she was the talent and I was the sales. <laughs> you know, in a way, like, um, I was really selling her um, to multiple brands because during that time, she really, she was in her prime. I mean, she never lost her prime and up until today. She Like, a lot of brands are still getting her. But basically, like, she was the primary reason why people wanted to work with Tier 1 because we had the Lodi. And then around her were multiple other talents, such as Bianca Yao, TNC Pro Team. Um, we had Kuyanik back then and all of the other talents that eventually also became um, very popular people. And then those individuals were what attracted the brands to come in into us. And I think the value proposition that we had was we had a full creative team that will take care of the executions. So if all of the other influencers are doing them, are doing the executions organically and only by themselves, for us, we're a full prod team providing, you know, creative executions for the best individuals in esports and gaming. And, and of course, your agencies and your brands would want to rather work with a full team than just individuals, right? So we started, you know, like creating a dent in the market and eventually like getting, getting more brands, getting their trust and all that. And yeah, I mean, we just became big. I mean, Mountain Dew was probably the first break. Eventually, we got Task Us. Eventually, we got Facebook Gaming, which is still our biggest client to date. And uh, yeah, I mean, things have been doing very well. Trek, can I just ask you, because, you know, sometimes uh, when I talk to other entrepreneurs, they often tell me, you know, you know, sometimes they can't, when they, when they look back at their experience, they, they can't believe how big they've grown, you know? So it's a surprise to them. What's that, what is that one point for you when you were building uh, Tier 1 where you finally said, oh my god we, we made it or i can't believe it it's it's gone this big you know what was that one you know sort of personal realization for you wow i can't believe we did this to be honest i never really thought about it because i feel like we're still small mm -hmm. you know like i really want to be the biggest global gaming brand when it comes to entertainment in esports and gaming and i don't i think we're very far off from that so i don't think of us as big but i think that moment for me was just a few weeks ago when we got an office in BGC. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, I felt like that was the moment, right? Like, you go into BGC and and look at that view and, and think that, hey, we we actually are okay. Yeah, I, I've, seen the, I've seen the pictures. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying the view vicariously through you as you, mm. as you share all the pictures for that one. And this is the amazing thing. So, Kumbaga, the first one really was technically talent management. Really, that's what Tier 1 did initially, talent management within the field of gaming. And then there are different types of talents to manage within that gaming, um, within that gaming industry. I know that you've actually elevated the... I mean, what's nice is that you've sort of elevated how talent management is done at scale. Because, you know, right now... If you think, I mean, if you look at the traditional world, like I have a talent manager and you know that how they manage is very different. There's, there's a long negotiation process. You know, it's not, it, it, it doesn't seem like you can digitize it, but you were able to, technically you guys are able to scale uh, talent management. Uh, how, is that, how, how is that possible for you guys? How did you think about you could scale talent management? Because we were talents to begin with, right? So I feel like um, the way to answer this question is you look at, the K-pop entertainment companies, and they are multi-billion-dollar valuated companies. That's like Korea has already shown us how, 
Like, we don't have to replicate the wheel. Like, look at how they earn billions from concerts. Look at how they build, earn, uh, you know, uh, millions from from retail. Um, how much they earn millions from, you know, rights of their music and all that. And all of these are replicatable in gaming. You can create, like, video highlights. You have retail. You have NFTs now, right? You, you can have, like, VTL experiences with, with them. And I think, I think the way to look at it is we're not about talent management because talent management is such a word that has so much baggage. Like okay. first, okay. You, you so much, sometimes people feel like if you're a talent management, you don't own anything. Second is it has low margins. But what tier one is really doing is we are a fandom management. You know what I mean? Like we know how to manage fandom management. We, we know how to manage people that have fans. We know how to take care of our credibility. We know how to take care of communities. And we know how to how to create, you know, experiences with these communities with the help of our talents. We see our talents as partners. We we don't just see them as, you know, cattles that need to earn in a way. And, and it, we feel that, you know, like every IP that can come out of tier one, whether it's a talent or a media property, is always infinitely scalable. <laughs> Because digital is infinitely scalable. So, I mean, imagine being able to have a platform that can create an IP tomorrow that can become a 1 million subscriber platform. You know, like, you know, like, and, and without server costs, without, um, without um, OPEX of like crazy and without really waiting for multiple years for it to grow, right? In a way, we're kind of like a machinery of IPs. Um, and that, that's interesting because uh, I, 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 I'm getting to appreciate from a different perspective because old school talent management, that's my background, the brick and mortar sort of talent management. And you're really opening my eyes as to how to look at, it's not talent management, it's fandom management, right? And that's exactly the formula created by the whole K-pop industry. When you took, you know, when you, in, in your own fandom management, if you don't mind sharing, no, how did you start find of like, find of sort of the best practice on how to do fandom management? You know, communities. I think you need to build communities. You need to focus on that. Um, fortunately for gaming, communities are natural. Like for instance, okay. if you're in Dota 2, then you have a community there. If you're in Valorant, then there's a natural community there. In every game there is, there is a natural community. The question is, how do you cover the community that exists? How do you differentiate yourself from your other stakeholders? There are multiple esports teams in Southeast Asia. Why is tier one different? What is the type of communities we're targeting what are the type of people you want to become fans of Blacklist. You know, like, it's it's really creating a certain persona for a brand that you're creating, and that will resonate to people, right? Like, the Tier 1 brand is elusive, mysterious, but at the same time, hopeful, you know, so people re resonate to that because it doesn't really go to you and tell you, hey, come here. It's more of like, it's here, it's yours for the taking, but it will take passion and career for you to, a passion and more for you to get to it. And and in the end, like, I think the most important thing is you always need to do your best to have a positive impact. Because any, any negative, you know, like news or issue that might give you initial traction will hurt you long term in terms of what you want to build in terms of image interesting so it's really just taking what you know mark your brand equity and to create a very strong brand equity that resonates with your consumers basically with the communities which they like wow and and uh, with that one so basically first you created you know, fandom management and if you look at well, at least from a product standpoint i'm looking at it you're also managing esports teams as well being fandom management is the number one number one income stream how did how did managing teams come also into the picture? It's a, it's organic, um, no. But when it start realizing that running, uh, so, you know, running, so it's basically like this, right? Like how we see the world in terms of how tier one thinks is that every KOL is a nuclear powered word of mouth. You know, like they are technically our connector to communities. They have the mm -hmm. authenticity, the legitimacy, the frequency of content creation that connects to the community that exists. And if you have a thousand of them that in turn bring you 120 million in combined following. So for us to, to manage the 120 million combined fans, 
what we do is we manage the 1,000 creators, right? Oh, so I that's see. kind of like how we look at, at, at it first. And, and the way to manage these creators and fans, especially in gaming, is that you need to bring them the value chain that I mentioned. So sometimes it's a resource uh, center such as, you know, like data gathering or maybe it's talent management per se. But the reason why we jump into creating esports teams is because we needed to give them as a value, authenticity and impact. And what does that mean? You can be the most popular comedian in gaming and esports, but what is your impact to society? outside of making people laugh, right? So if you're a comedian and you are part of tier one and Blacklist is winning on a world level and is bringing glory to the company and to the country that it represents, then you as a creator will have more legitimacy and, and, and impact because from what I'm doing, I'm providing the means for tier one to be able to support a team that is now capable of bringing pride to the company and to the country in a way. So in a way, it's the Green Archers model, or I think, you know, like that model in a way, or the Blue Eagles model, where first, it brings unity. Two, it is a cultural driver. Like it, it, it is the tier one culture of winning. And third, it brings so much legitimacy and impact, not just to the talents, not just to the fans, but to the whole tier one, you know, like umbrella that we are all part of something big. When Blacklist wins, we all win. And it, I mean, for me, I mean, the bigger thing also is that it provides content for you guys. It provides content yes, for your also. content creators. Uh, it, it amplifies it. It amplifies yes. as well. And it goes, it goes back and forth. That's what amplification goes back and forth from the content creator, the shoutcast, whoever else, to the team and, and, and back. And then with that also as well, uh, I, I can see now the whole picture that you're trying to create because, well, of course, you're managing the teams, uh, you're managing also talents, but you're also getting more into lifestyle. Like you're coming into, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the clothing or lifestyle brands as well. Yes. Is that correct? So yes. tell me a bit more about that one. How, uh, I mean, it makes sense to me now. It makes sense to me now because you're creating a community with fans. Eh? So, of course, yeah. merchandising is a great, is a great move. Uh, I mean, the way we see it is simple, right? Like, if we created a multi-million machinery to promote other brands, then why not ours, right? In a way, we're cutting the middleman, and the middleman are the brands. In a way where if we have our own products, that the, that the whole tier one family, in a way, can promote and push to market directly, then the revenue will straight go to us and I, I feel like I'm very much confident that the fans by today know that we will take care of those revenues to make sure that we can create more opportunities for gamers like us you know what I mean and if they've supported the multiple products that we promoted before in the past because they are our clients what more with the tier one products right because they know what it represents it represents the opportunity to be able to support what we're doing and wow. yeah, I mean, because of that, we were top five actually in Lazada for sportswear. The most uh, revenues that we got in terms of gross was last December. It was 3 million pesos in a month. Wow. For only 1,000 pesos worth of jersey. So imagine. Wow. Uh, and with that, no, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're, your brain is working overtime. You're an entrepreneur, so you're thinking of a lot of new uh, you know, ideas that will iterate from from the from the brand that you're creating for for what uh, for what uh, tier one is. What are the other products that you're looking to create as well from from this one? What are going to be emerging for us in the in the near future? So we actually created a subsidiary called Blackbox. Um, so Blackbox is just a purely retail um, machinery for uh, the whole tier one, you know, inventory and arm in which, of course, initially produced for Blacklist, it produced for tier one the brand itself. But it, want, it wants to be able to create items for its existing talents. You know, it can be an Alodia brand, it can be a Bianca Yao brand, it can be, you know, a Regine brand or, or you know, um, an Eli Gaming brand or a Dexy brand. And whatever it is that they produce, we will produce it for them to be able to add to the value chain that we've created in the talent management space and to unlock a new revenue stream at the same time. And, of course, to be able to bring that 
free billboard out there in a way because that's our our community's way of supporting the individuals that we're managing and for people also are looking at, uh, at what tier one is doing right now how can they still sort of you know other entrepreneurs who are in the sort of gaming ecosystem how can they participate i guess in the in the fruits of what tier one is developing can they participate um, as talents can they participate what 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 parts can they still be you know part of your, your own ecosystem and, and be entrepreneurs there's a lot um first you can be a supplier right like i mean we need a lot of suppliers whether it's an events management supplier or you know a construction supplier or uh i don't know a, pro a production company that can create shows for us or you know like a supplier for shirts or whatever not right like if you're an entrepreneur that way like you can be our supplier um second is you can partner with us if you have a product or something with our ip i mean if it's if it's something that you know you're interested in um third is um basically if you are an individual you can apply and work on the back end because you, currently we have 150 people working in the company now so all of these are professionals they graduated from top schools they some of them are even are are all are are, are some of them are even from you know like foreign countries and whatnot so so i think that's second um third is if you want to be a talent like yeah that's also an opportunity fourth is um Mm, esports player if you want to be an esports player if you want to be a caster like all of these opportunities are available in tier one of course it will like the number of slots will depend on the growth of the company so hopefully you su support us more so that you can bring in more jobs to the esports ecosystem uh, and having said that let's say that people want to become talents i mean just you know shepherd they have to have you know there's a certain barrier to entry what are you expecting of your talents and what are you ex expecting towards the gamers just what is that what, what must they have to be able to qualify to become part of the... So we've created a framework um, that's very linear. Um, you can start off with Amplify Academy. After you go through Amplify Academy, then you get to become an Amplify uh, creator. After going through uh, Amplify, you then become a prodigy. And that's the only time you can become a tier one talent after that. So in a way, that's your grade school, high school, college, graduate. If you're already a really, really popular person that wants to get into gaming and has no idea in gaming, like a basketball player or a showbiz personality or a musician, then sometimes you can get you take a shortcut and get into the Prodigy program um, straight up. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've already created that value chain so that, you know, the people can actually go in because the future that we want is something similar to K-pop, like what I mentioned, that, you know, they can come in, they can train, try out, debut, see what happens. Wow. You, you talked a bit about the future. You want to be a global gaming, uh, sports and e-gaming company. What do you see yourself like five years from now, Trike? Uh, I know that you've got your investors coming in. Uh, do you see yourself eventually going IPO? Do you see yourself eventually, um, uh, you know, uh, going into newer territories? What what, is your, what do you see yourself five years from now? For, um, we've for already one? went into um, multiple series of funding. Um, but not so much. Um, but of course, the end goal is an IPO, uh, obviously. Um, hopefully, in Nasdaq or you know, like wherever else. I, I don't know. I'm I, I do, I'm not looking at an exit right now. I just I am just looking at scaling the company. And I think the key of our scalability is to really be able to break the code. And that's our company's um uh, that's blacklist as a catchphrase. We want to we need to break the code of bringing the tier one playbook into the rest of the geographies that you want to be in, one. And I think second is we can really create a formidable Web3 play. Because if you are a strong Web2 esports media property and, and a creator um, management company, then maybe you are a 10x. But combine that with Web3, a 1 million x. Wow! Imagine all the IPs that come out within the with a combination of Web three NFTs and other things, right? Like Web three needs marketing, and we are the most attention grabbing machinery that was created in gaming here in Asia. So, if attention is the currency, then yeah, I mean we 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 should be good. Well, bravo to the great job that you guys have been doing uh, over here. And I'm very proud that this is a Philippine company, really a pioneering, not just here, but uh, the rest of the region. Now, Tri, you've had so many experiences in the past. Um, you've gained so much from, you know, from your humble beginnings with, with Mireski up to being tier one right now. And there are many entrepreneurs, whether they are in the gaming industry, in the startup, or even traditional. You've picked up a lot of things along the way. If you don't mind, as, as we start closing out our conversation, 
are there three, I guess, business and life hacks that you've learned that you want to share with starting off entrepreneurs who are listening to the podcast right now? Hmm. I think some of the answer, uh, I think I can start with some of the tier one core, core values that you've created. The first one is be the answer. Um, and what I mean by that is you need to be able to have the solutions to your own problems, right? Because sometimes the solutions won't come to you. Sometimes the solution has to be from you. You know what I mean? And sometimes that's a problem in some entrepreneurs where if the challenges are too big or, or are something too you know, difficult, they just want to give up because they don't have an answer. So the answer sometimes won't clearly come from you, but you need to be the answer. You need to find the answer by being the answer. I think that's one. Um, two, uh, it's an, another core value of ours. Like in tier one, we never settle, right? Like I feel like at some point, if you're an entrepreneur, you get tired and you, you, you tend to think, okay, we're good. This is it. This can be stable. But stability doesn't truly exist in any entrepreneurial world, from my perspective. Even Nokia at one point was number one. There, where are they now, right? Like, the only stable thing in the world is innovation. I truly believe that. And you need to be able to be the driver of innovation in your industry. Because if you're not doing that, somebody else will. And then that will disrupt you. And then you'll end up saying, that should have been me. You know what I mean? So if you're not putting the work every day and, and finding, you know, ways to be the, to, 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 to give room for innovation, then you're settling. So never settling doesn't mean you don't need to marry or you don't need to stop. It's just making sure that you're creating the best environment to innovate. I think that's number two. And then number three, discipline, integrity, long-term vision is really what you need in the end. Because, you know, like sometimes a problem with a lot of um, people is that they mostly think, but their discipline is small. You know what I mean? Like, oh, 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 I get it. Like, a lot of people have great ideas. And that's what I hate, to be honest, here in the Philippines. Because in the Philippines, like, ideas are so much over-glorified that sometimes mm -hmm. when people think of an idea and somebody else executes it, then they think that, hey, I came up with that first. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, like, if you have 12 hours of doing nothing, I'm not referring to that person, but I'm just saying whoever else can think of anything. Like ideas are free. What have you done with it, right? And I think the most important thing is you need to be able to have the discipline and the capability to execute because ideas mean, mean nothing. It, it means shit, you know what I mean? So exactly, I'm not, exactly. I, I'm not mm -hmm. fascinated with people who think great because thinking is nothing. That's that's me. And second is like integrity, uh, because if you have integrity, then you build trust. And if you build trust, then you build loyalty. And if you build loyalty, you you create continuity, and continuity is sustainability. So if you really need, if you really want growth, you need all that, and it all starts with integrity. Um, last but not least, it's vision setting, I guess. Right, like. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to have a big vision. Because if you don't have a big vision, then the people around you will not dream big also. Or or worse, they will have bigger dreams than you. Right? So I feel like if you're an entrepreneur, as much as it sounds crazy, it doesn't have to be next year. It doesn't have to be two years from now. But your dream needs to be the biggest in the room. I truly believe that. So you don't have to say it out loud. Initially, you know, you know how to say that, and especially when, you know, you have nothing yet, but in your head, in your mind, like, you need to know that this is where I want to be X years from now. Wow. Right. That's going to be your next product stream. Your next income stream is the ebook that you'll come out with about uh, the tier one 
uh, road to business and life. And this is I, this is really great. Uh, this is really great session for me. I get a lot of insights. I really appreciate how you perceive the industry and how you are you so generous in sharing uh, what you've learned. Like right, for people who actually want to sign up with with Tier One, if they want to become a, a talent or you know for esports, where where can they visit? Um, you can probably check our website. Um, www.tier.one. Uh, T-I-E-R dot O-N-E. I think we've um, put some applications there, but that part is, of course, very difficult because there's a lot of people who are applying because for them, it's like, hey, I can play and earn. Why not? Right? So because of that, we have so much um, applicants. But um, yeah, that. Uh, yeah. Give it a try. Give it a try. Might as well, right? If you've got a big vision for yourself, then give it a try. Again, Trike, thanks so much for guesting here on the podcast. We really appreciate it. To all the guests, I hope you enjoyed Trike Gutierrez of Tier 1. We will see you in the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.